0: Hello, hello, welcome back to Loki's Library and I am your librarian Katrina. If you are new here, welcome. This is where I'm reading through the enormous library of books you see behind me and then I give you a quick synopsis and I tell you what I think about them. So if you like books and just aren't sure what to read next, hit that subscribe button, like and share my videos, let me know what you think in the comments. This week's book I think I heard about on Joe Rogan, maybe. I, I'm almost positive that's where I heard it, I could be dead wrong, but, you know, I think there's very few people who would disagree that the country is headed to hell in a handbasket, so I decided to read How Civil Wars Start and How to Stop Them by Barbara F. Walter, and the accompanying cocktail is called Civil War, which is one and a half ounces of bourbon, a half ounce of sweet vermouth, half ounce of sinar two dashes of bitters, and one maraschino cherry for garnish. Now, the, the recipe calls for old-fashioned bitters. I'm just going to use the aromatic bitters. I think they're probably about the same. I could be wrong. I hopefully not. But let's do this. Now, apparently, there are several non-governmental organizations that have decided to, or dedicated themselves, excuse me, to studying civil war and the stages a country will go through to get to civil war. Okay, that totally makes sense. I mean, hell, we have NGOs for everything. I, we have NGOs studying the effects of cocaine on a squirrel sex drive or some random shit like that. So it's not at all surprising that we would have NGOs that study civil wars and how we get there. Basically, the countries of the world, by all of these NGOs, there's like four or five of them, are rated on a polity scale of a negative 10 to a plus 10 uh, on a scale of freedom, basically, with a negative 10 being an absolutely authoritarian regime like North Korea, for example, and number 10 being where freedom rings, like America, allegedly. We'll get to that. When a country slides to the negative five to plus five range, they are in what's called an anocracy, which is basically a crossover form of government that is part democracy, part dictatorship. Anocracies are where civil wars become likely if a country slides to the negative one plus one range, civil war is all but certain. So that's, that's where we're at. She spends, you know, she, she goes into great detail on this, but that's a summary of it. What are some of the causes that will leave a country, or that will have a country slide up or down this polity scale? Right, war, not necessarily civil war is, is one, but like a war that results in a regime change is a big factor. Like, I uh, think Iraq, after we pulled Saddam Hussein out of there and kind of left them in the lurch, we, we pulled him out of power, said, there you go, democracy has been installed, and uh, instead they had a civil war. Because you can't just tell people to be democratic, it turns out there has to be something that they kind of want and choose for themselves. So that was probably not one of our finest moments. I mean, Saddam Hussein needed to die, he was a dick, but probably should have put a little more thought into a little little heavy on the vermouth that's one thing a big factor balkanization is another one country splits up because of external factors so like the when the balkanization is when the ussr broke up all the soviet satellite states were kind of left to figure themselves out they were trying to figure out if they're going democratic or if they were just going to stay a dictatorship with you know a home dictator versus whoever was in charge in in the kremlin rise in factions is another one uh like rwanda In the 1990s with the Hutu and the Tutsis. They became factionalized. Yugoslavia during balkanization is a big one. Where it broke into the Croatians and the Serbians. That became a civil war. Eventually I believe they became two countries. Which. It's an awful way to get there. But civil war is one way to do it. And then here she kind of introduces the idea of ethnic entrepreneurship. With Milosevic. uh, Slobodan Milosevic. And and the other guy who was on the, the Croatian side. And how they started pulling people into these two separate ethnic identities where before they had all been Yugoslavian. I think we can all probably think of a few people who would qualify as an ethnic entrepreneurs. People who basically hustle ill will towards others based on irrelevant pieces of identity like skin color or religion, for example. She talks about how loss of status can tip people into fighting, Uh, here citing specifically the United States Civil War, citing the South's loss of status after Lincoln won in 1860 as the inciting factor. Uh, Maybe, you know, uh, even probable. I haven't gotten to Lincoln yet, and I am by no means an American Civil War expert, but it's plausible. I buy it, okay? It it makes perfect sense, And, and the information she laid out in the book, okay, I'm on board with that. But here she kind of starts combining the idea of ethnic entrepreneurs with loss of status, and I start to have some doubts. Before explaining that, let me explain this. One of the points she makes in the book is that a moderate people in the center, like myself, are very good at listening to what ethnic entrepreneurs and sons of the soil, people losing status, are saying and identifying what is propaganda all right so the people in the middle pretty much stuck in the middle you've got one side's you know shouting one thing and the other side shouting the other thing and the people in the middle are like well you just shut the fuck up kind of like this okay part of that is mostly because it doesn't ring true in the middle ground all right we we are not blinded by our perceptions or misperceptions of what reality is and so what the extremes are saying doesn't ring true and so the middle it, you're not being pulled by the hatreds on the extremes of the spectrum. That idea is expressed in the book. Pretty much exactly like that. And I am disclaiming that ahead of what's about to come. I'm going to need alcohol for this. This is a stirred cocktail. Ooh, that was almost cat- catastrophic. Stirring can be just as loud as shaking when you're stirring with ice. So give me a minute here. Okay. When the glass starts to... Um, condense up condensation I think I'm done stirring and a maraschino cherry for garnish garnish when she's talking about loss of status and ethnic I haven't even had anything to drink yet can you believe that I'm already slurring she's talking about loss of status and ethnic entrepreneurs one of the examples she cites is Sweden's slide from a solid 10 to a plus 8 not anocratic yet but she cites as the reason for the slide is the rise of the social democrats a alt-right party in sweden who rebranded themselves from literal nazis to the social democrats to fight the influx of muslim immigrants and here's why i have my doubts about her logic remember a few months ago when i read Ion hersey ali's book prey immigration islam and the erosion of women's rights Sweden didn't slide into alt-right territory because the Muslims were moving in. This isn't, this isn't a race thing for, for Sweden. Okay, I, I, She's basically implying the entire country went racist overnight because Islam. No. Um, they slid to the right, not alt-right, but right of center because the Muslim immigrants are refusing to adapt to Sweden's norms, thus stripping Swedish citizens... Namely, women of rights these women have already had, always had, all right? Women can, are no longer safe walking the streets at night. The number of, of attacks by immigrants is on the rise, all right? Those are real numbers, and Ion herseli does an amazing job breaking that information down, and I'll, you know, link it here, and I'll link it in the description so that you guys can go back and watch that and read her book, because it's amazing. The entire country of Sweden didn't just turn racist overnight, okay? They're dealing with some very real problems over there. And it's very disingenuous the way that she hints that the entire country is just racist because they hate Muslims. Not true at all. Sweden may not be the only ethnic entrepreneurs here, that's all I'm saying. The next catalyst to civil war is when hope dies and here she pulls on stories from Ireland and the provisional uh, Irish Republican Army and the Syrian Civil War. How when people feel like they've been backed into a corner with no chance at redress from the government, they're more likely to attack. So those are the four basics. Okay, you've got existing state of conflict, rise of factions, loss of status, loss of hope. And I'm pretty much good with all of those. Right? Her explanations were excellent. She pulled from a variety of conflicts around the world to illustrate the point she was making. It was very well done. The fifth element... Little Dallas multi-pass. I would also agree with. Sort of. Where she starts to lose me is when her own incredibly leftist bias starts to show. Very boldly. And I'll bet you she thinks she's a centrist. I feel like this is... Well, that's just terrible. I didn't bring any backup alcohol with me for this one, and I'm really, this is just terrible. I'm not a fan. I Guess that's a good thing. Nobody should really be a fan of civil war. The fifth element is social media, which acts as an accelerant or catalyst kind of thrown on top of any one or combination of the four above points. Now, anyone who has ever glanced at a mean tweet, would have to agree that social media is an absolute dumpster fire of humanity. I mean, like all of it. I can't think of a single redeeming feature to you face. But where she starts to lose me is when she makes reference to how social media has allowed news that hasn't been vetted through proper channels to be disseminated to the masses, allowing for the rise of fake news. Only if you watched last week, you know damn well that the New York Times all the news that's fit to print has been maliciously spreading fake news for 100 years. 80 of which were definitely pre-social media. And also, um, as I know from all my reading on the Presidents, among the many reasons freedom of the press is encapsulated in the First Amendment uh, is that the Founders figured it was up to we, the people, the person reading the news to determine what was reliable and what was propaganda. Now, I will grant that it is exceedingly likely that the founders grossly overestimated their descendants' ability to think. Okay? We we are not doing too good. I don't believe the founders ever planned on a public school system that would stop teaching civics entirely and believe that math was systemic racism. Pretty sure they didn't plan on that either. She called Joe Rogan right-wing and said his channel was a pipeline to people discovering more alt-right content. I think she's... I think she thinks he's like the gateway to the all-right pipeline or some shit like that. Pretty sure Joe Rogan is only considered right-wing when compared to Mao Zedong. That's pretty much most of us, to, to your average screeching leftist, right? She says, quote, direct quote from the book, The big technology companies have no incentive to restrict who uses their platform or what they say. But then later gives thanks to Twitter for removing Trump and says there was an immediate relaxation in hostilities on Twitter when Trump was banned. So, which is it? They've got no reason to ban somebody, or they will, in fact, restrict speech. You don't get to have it both ways, okay? And you can add into that that Twitter is really only concerned with what is said on American Twitter, right? You see that? Check that shit out, right? They don't really care if other countries descend into civil war over loss of freedom, only in restricting freedom here in the States. Allegedly. Maybe I'm misreading that. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe that's not why Elon Musk wants to buy Twitter. She talks about how Russia used social media algorithms to disrupt elections here in the United States without ever mentioning that Trump was trying to help Clinton get elected, not Trump. Or Russia was trying to help Clinton win, not Trump. Right? Right? Uh, Another quote from the book, quote, There's no better way to organize people today than social media, especially if those people are feeling aggrieved or threatened. It is how the Arab Spring protesters organized in 2011, how the Women's March came together, and how Black Lives Matter movement initially gained traction. But when this power to draw like-minded people intersects with extremist, outrage-driven narratives and a thirst for violence, it creates a powder keg. End quote. She says this unironically, because none of us remember this ridiculous headline, right? Apparently, the power of social media to organize people who feel aggrieved is only a good thing when the author agrees with the grievance. And she says how fact checkers determined like 98% of right-wing posts were fact-checked as false. Maybe it wasn't 98% in the book, maybe it was something less, but still it was some absurdly high number. I'm going to chalk that up to information that did not age well because of this. Social media is a shit show. I agree with her there, but her conclusions are entirely one sided. Walter's bias is showing. The next three chapters, basically the rest of the book, was painful. Because I had to drive the night that I was reading it, so. I had to read it sober. And then my prick of a husband reminded me that I pick my own reading materials. Fucking asshole. The next chapter asks the question, how close are we? And she recounts the events of January 6th, 2021. Look, most of us here in the center would... 100% agree that January 6th was a clusterfuck. It's the epitome of play stupid games, win stupid prizes. If you're going to be a dumb shit, dumb shit's going to happen to you. Okay? You know what's not mentioned in the book? The May 2020 riots. Because loss of hope due to police murder is an a reason to spark riots and potential civil war, but the potentially stolen election was not reason to riot. George Floyd's situation was beyond awful No one deserves to or should ever die in such circumstances No matter how awful of a human being they may be Alright, full stop I got nothing more to add to that We learned in Officer Tatum's book that Derek Chauvin's tenure as an officer Was pretty much destined to end in these circumstances If not with Floyd, then someone else Because Chauvin is a shit human being Should never have been an officer All right, There are people who should definitely not be police officers And Chauvin was one of them but among the reasons included in loss of hope is loss of faith in the system. The belief that government can't protect you. Sure. 100% agree. All right, and the belief that government can't or won't protect you is what contributed to the BLM riots, and I am okay with that because she's right. She has a very valid point there. All right, if the government can't or won't protect you, you got you you have no choice but to protect yourself. We But Learned that with the school shooting in Uvalde A few weeks ago, right? Especially fun when the Supreme Court steps in and says No, the police have no duty to protect Despite it being Protect and serve is like the motto of every Police officer, policing agency Here in the United States Except they have no duty to do so Which means we the people have to protect Ourselves So From that, I'm good, I agree with her all right. It was a shit situation, no matter how bad Chauvin was or not Chauvin. Uh, Floyd was as a human being, and he was not the angel saint that people seemed to want to paint him as. There was a lot wrong with George Floyd. He did not deserve to die like that. One of the other reasons she had for wanting to um, for, for, for sparking a civil war is loss of election integrity. If you have no faith that your elections are fair Then that also could spark a civil war But that That complaint was totally not valid By any metric Probably because it was the alt-right extremists Who were rioting then She seems to think that They are only Literally she does this Patriots Quotes around patriots Because they only think they're patriots but they can't really be. Why? Because their perception of reality is different from yours? They're, they're fake patriots because they don't lockstep their mind with yours? And as H.L. Mencken said, the notion that a radical is one who hates his country is naive and usually idiotic. He is more likely one who, sees, one who likes his country more than the rest of us, and is thus more disturbed than the rest of us when he sees it debauched. He is not a bad citizen turning to crime, He is a good citizen driven to despair. And that ties in for both sides, right? Good citizens driven to despair would be the BLM people rioting, all right? Good citizens. They've got some valid complaints, okay? Corruption does happen, and it's disingenuous to pretend it doesn't. Hell, Officer Tatum in his book said, Yeah, there are bad cops. There is brutality. There is corruption. It exists. You have to acknowledge it. You can't pretend it doesn't. You also can't pretend that election corruption isn't a thing. Moving on. She then goes on to highlight all the awful, horrible, no-good, rotten things Trump did while in office, including that just after Trump was elected, before he was even sworn in, our polity score dropped to an 8. It's awfully sus, don't you think? And the man hasn't even done anything yet. It's a little too soon to be throwing the bathwater out yet. I mean, surely you want to make sure there isn't a baby in there first. Trump was not an awesome president. All right. There are many things he did wrong. I don't agree with trade wars because, as Frederick Bastiat says, when goods cross borders, when goods don't cross borders, armies will. Excuse me. Let's get the quote right. It's accurate, right? You're not going to raid and attack somebody you're actively trading with because that's just bad for everybody. Trade wars are stupid. She says, that she, she complains about Trump refusing to release his tax returns. Well, why would he? All right. Why would he release his tax returns from when he was a private citizen? All right. Do we, what we should be doing is having the IRS audit every single one of our elected officials everywhere, not just federally. If you're an elected official in any capacity, anywhere in these 50 United States, you should be audited annually. All right. There's one way to knock out some corruption. Where the fuck is all your money coming from? That's what I want to know. There's also no reason, for the record, for Obama to release his birth certificate. It's beyond ridiculous to think that the Democrats didn't fully vet his qualifications. And that was such an obvious false flag that I'm still wondering what the Congress critters screaming about it were trying to distract people from. My favorite of Trump's crimes, quote unquote. (laughs) Oh my god, this one I was like, what the fuck? is that he instituted a rash of executive orders through which he ruled, rather than consulting with Congress. Wait till you get a load of this. 44 out of 45 presidents have issued executive orders. The only one who didn't? Take a guess. You know this. If you've been watching me, you know this. Because the answer is so obvious, right? William Henry Harrison. You all thought George Washington, right? You thought, surely the founding father and first president would never, never rule through executive order. William Henry Harrison died 30 days into office. Pretty sure the only reason he didn't issue executive orders is that he was too sick for those 30 days and then died. Trump's not even at the top of the list of presidents who issued executive orders. Not even anywhere. He's like in the middle, all right? He's like 18 on the list, all right? He's... About a hundred executive orders behind fellow one-term president Jimmy Carter and just slightly ahead of JFK, who was assassinated before his first term ended. Yeah. Yeah, pretty sure if JFK had lived, he'd have surpassed even Trump. The most executive orders ever issued was by Franklin Delano Roosevelt. 3,728. Ponder that one. Like, no one else even comes close. And I'll grant FDR was elected for three terms, but still... Fucking A, man. least amount issued was one. We had three presidents who only ever issued one executive order. James Monroe, James Madison, and John Adams. That information, incidentally, comes from www.potus.com. I will include a link in the description of this video. You can see the numbers for yourself. She tries to break down voting statistics as proof of right-wing conspiracy and makes the argument that if civil war happens, the alt-right will try to scare moderates into joining them by the quote-unquote weak tactics of guerrilla warfare and terrorism. A couple of clarifying points here. First off, the American Revolution was won using guerrilla tactics. We were grossly outnumbered and outgunned by the British. There was no way we could have won in a manly, brave stand-up fight. So yeah, that's, you know, if Civil War comes, that's exactly right. They'll, They'll use guerrilla tactics, because they work. They're effective. Guerrilla tactics are how the Viet Cong managed to kick the shit out of Americans a lot in Vietnam. And why we ended up just withdrawing eventually, because we didn't know we didn't have home turf advantage basically we didn't know where they were hiding and so we had to seed ground yeah that's why we ended up withdrawing from Afghanistan and Iraq because they have home turf advantage they know where to hide how to make the best use of those guerrilla tactics second if the moderates join the right it's not because the right convinced us of anything is because the left pushed us away by being completely unreasonable about pretty much everything. Walter points out that the urban areas tend to vote Democrat and rural areas tend to vote Republican. And makes the argument that we should do away with the electoral college because, to, to do away with the tyranny of the majority. But then also says that the majority voted for Clinton in 2016. I mean, the Electoral College was designed to rein in the majority. Because based on the 2016 Electoral College map, right here, right, if we do away with the Electoral College, those tiny spots of blue will determine our fate for all time. I mean, that doesn't terrify you. But don't worry, that's because they know what's best for all of us. Listen, That distribution of urban to rural is literally part of natural law, all right? It's called the Pareto Principle. I'll include a link to to that in the description as well. 20% of all locations will gather 80% of the population. That's global, okay? Does not make those living in rural settings inferior, poorer, less intelligent, although Walter certainly implies all of those are true. She even pulls out that most frustrating of Facebook memes. Okay, I'm not actually sure it's a Facebook meme. I'm not sure where this originated. I first saw it on Facebook and was just disgusted by our lack of civic knowledge in this country. She complains about how all states are equally represented in the Senate. Even the states with the smallest population have two senators, and that's just not fair. I just can't. Oh my god. Oh my god. This college professor needs to go back and visit Constitution 101. I swear to fucking Christ. Um we have a bicameral house of legislation, meaning we have two houses. We have the Senate. To get used to getting this on camera. We have the Senate. We have the House of Representatives. All right. All of our states get two senators. Every single one of them, no matter how big or small, two senators. The House of Representatives is based on population, which is why California, as one of the most populated states, gets 53 representatives, while Wyoming, the least populated, gets one. That was how the founders tried to ensure fairness and representation. I guess that fairness should not be extended to rural areas. Oh, here's an idea. How about if we start adjusting the senators based on population, then we have to adjust the representatives to be level. So either we reduce California's representatives to just one, or Wyoming now gets 53. Would that be fair? Dumbass. Shit, I have to edit that out. No, I don't. It's my video. My husband said don't do the ad hominem attacks, attack the reason, but that is just the most idiotic thing. It literally enrages me when I see it. I'm like, go take a fucking civics lesson. I learned that in fucking high school. I learned that. She's older than me. She should have learned that shit way before I did. What the fuck, man? Um, let's also, well, I'm on a basic civics lesson here. She keeps saying we need to preserve our democracy. Oh my God. We are not a democracy. We are a constitutional republic. According to LegalDictionary.com, a constitutional republic is a form of government in which a representative is elected by the people to govern over them, according to the rules established in the law of the land. An example of a constitutional republic is the United States' form of government. U.S. citizens elect a president and other representatives who then govern them as the constitution directs them to. A democracy, also from LegalDictionary.com, is, quote, a form of government which the leaders are chosen by the citizens' votes and in which the people have a say in decisions about the state's affairs. You see the difference? Should I explain it? I'm going to explain it. The Constitution limits what the government is able to do. Our elected Congress critters are not supposed to be doing anything that is not strictly allowed within the limited confines of the Constitution. We don't just have a say in decisions. They are not allowed to make decisions that violate the Constitution. And because I know some jackass out there will start screaming about slavery in the Constitution, that's what the 13th and 14th Amendments did. All right. Abolish slavery. Ensure equal protection under the law to everybody. All right. Unless there be any confusion, Democrats voted against both the 13th and 14th Amendments. So just keeping it real here. We the people have been very sloppy in enforcing this on our elected Congress critters. She says that 200 former military people are now part of white supremacist groups implying that this is a huge problem. Bigly. That's almost exactly the number used in the New York Times articles dissected in last week's book. I and mean, last week, the author of one of the articles said something like 124 former military have been cited in violent crimes. In fact, that was the article that caused other papers to push back and start to smack down on the New York Times. I and mean, there are something like 300,000 retired military personnel just from the war on terror. I and mean, never mind remaining vets from World War II, South Korea, Vietnam, and dozens of undeclared wars. Also known as police actions that occurred throughout the 80s and 90s. 200 has absolutely no statistical significance. It's it's not even a blip on the radar. I a mean, 200 of 300,000 is like 0.06% of retired military personnel. I mean, add in all the rest of the retired personnel, and the danger drops even lower. But I mean, that's dangerous, according to her. 200 whole retired vets have joined militias. Oh my god. You wanna know why the number's not higher? Because the military's a great equalizer. Alright? They pretty much force you to get along with everybody, regardless of race, creed, or religion. She, rather, she, just, she implies that all are retired personnel, and a significant number of the police are racists based on those 200 and we're all ready to join excuse me they am not former military i'm not law enforcement i can't say we so they are already join alt-right militia i mean way to demonize an entire segment of the population miss walter your bias is showing she does have a chapter on how to stop a civil war uh, one thing that i feel personally would be helpful if people would stop writing books that were so completely fucking biased. Hugely helpful. Bigly. Even. I agree that social media is a completely wretched place to be, but one of her recommendations is that the government should take over social media. Yeah. Yeah. Please do that. Do that. Because then, instead of Twitter being able to deplatform Trump, which was their right as a privately owned company, Trump would never have left Twitter. That pesky constitution in our constitutional republic and the first amendment. Congress shall make no law abridging freedom of speech. Yeah let's give social media to Congress. It's a solid move there dipshit. I did it again. I did it again. Stop ad hominem attacks. Also just FYI stop assuming that people who disagree with you are racist just because they disagree with you does not mean they're racist. Also, just because someone is white does not mean they are racist. Way to paint with broad brushstrokes here. And If you change one word from that sentence, does it become hate speech? I'll bet it becomes hate speech. So how do we stop civil wars? Walter says we need leaders. Uh, No, 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 we don't. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, no. One thing we don't need are leaders. Uh, I heard this on Michael Malice the other day. I was listening to his earlier podcasts, and a quote he uses in one of his books from Isabel Patterson in 1943 wrote When the word leader or leadership returns to current use, it connotes a relapse into barbarism. For a civilized people, it is the most ominous word in any language. Ms. Patterson, I will drink this horrible drink for you. They are not our leaders. They are our employees. It's time to start firing them. You uh, fire them by electing their replacements, and maybe cancel this ridiculous golden parachute that they voted for themselves. I'll see if I can find a link to that as well and include that in the description. Fair and open elections. Yeah, yes, 100% fair and open elections. I, I think both sides would agree that that is an excellent step. Fair and open elections. The request for voter ID is not unreasonable. A lot of countries who have a plus 10 on the polity scale require ID to vote. What kills me? This kills me. The leftists' reasons for not wanting voter ID is that it would be hard for minorities to obtain because, according to leftists, not liberals, notice my language here, all right? Liberals tend to be fairly center as well. Leftists? Oh, According to them, minorities are incapable of obtaining, of obtaining any ID. Totally useful. Remove corruption from our elected officials. Agreed. 100%. Does that include Joe Biden? Because things are looking awfully shady with Hunter's laptop and the war on Ukraine heating up. How about that clusterfuck with Nancy Pelosi and not allowing amendments on the House floor? Did, did you guys know about that? I mean, lest anyone think that the right is superior on this one, they're not. This tradition started six years ago and has been maintained regardless of who was Speaker of the House. That information comes to us courtesy of Justin Amash. He's in a position to know. I mean, that's some first-class corruption there that violates all of our constitutional rights. Um, That First Amendment also includes the right to petition Congress for redress of grievances. Let me break this down for you. If you're a political junkie and you religiously follow CNN's video of what's going on in the House of Representatives, and you find out that a bill is being passed with some portion you disagree with, or conversely believe should be included in the bill, so you petition your Congress critter to amend that bill. This is not allowed under current House rules. And so the Speaker of the House, whoever they may be, by instilling and then maintaining this rule, is violating all of our rights quite similar to the gag rule that was instituted during John Quincy Adams' time. The one that said we can't petition to end slavery. Let's stop that corruption. And I love full sarcasm intended where she says simultaneously that the right just wants to be left alone by the government while also saying that more Americans are ready for authoritarian rule. You, madam, are ready for authoritarian rule. The rest of us just want to be left alone like the constitution says we should be there were problems with this book there were so many problems and the first four chapters were well done seriously all right she laid it out it was i was right on board with her i'm like wow and i loved loved how she was pulling from examples of civil wars in other countries ...to to show what was dangerous and what was bad... ...and how XYZ could lead to civil war. The last four... ...start drinking early, man. I'm just saying. I despise intellectual dishonesty. And she refuses to be honest about the problems in this country... ...that infect the left. And she was on point with some of the problems of the right. Most of the problems on the right. Except the Boogaloo Boys. I swear to God. I laughed out loud when she started citing the Boogaloo as an alt-right uprising, rather than what it was. A Facebook joke gone horribly, macably funny. It's like when the left believed that the, that the OK hand sign this was a symbol of white supremacy. I mean, it's not. It's a joke that started on 4chan. Um, and because the left has no sense of humor, they fell for it. Which has made it even funnier. Same with the Boogaloo. My... my the husband had a bachelor party this weekend, and the request to dress code was camo shorts and Hawaiian shirts. And they were all going out shooting, and I told him to watch out for the boogaloo, and he laughed. So I told him to remind them they are all alt-right terrorists and to have fun storming the castle boys. I had hoped to learn something new. What I learned is that the left is still pants-shittingly terrified of any opinion that doesn't conform with... THE MESSAGE we might be heading towards civil war. I, seriously, right, I, think, I think she's right. The conditions are there. Um, she seems to think that the pockets of urban blue surrounded by seas of red will prevent full balkanization. I have my doubts on that one because the sea of red is where all the guns are. I'm just saying. If it happens, it'll be ugly. It'll be fucking awful. Nobody wants to live through a civil war. Right. Ask any survivor of a civil war in their homeland. You don't want to go through that. It, it would be awful. Okay? But I can see the country fracturing along lines as highlighted in American Nations that I read last year. I can see that happening. And hey, maybe we should balkanize. It's clear that the fractures and rifts are getting pretty deep. They're not helped along by books like this that place all the blame on one side. It's not helped along by ethnic entrepreneurs like Hillary Clinton who called anyone voting for Trump a deplorable come on hell I know people who voted for Trump because Clinton called them deplorable for even entertaining the idea another option to civil war one not included or even hinted at here the government could just let states that want to secede do so peacefully believe it or not that is an option guys But that option would never occur to any authoritarian statist. I am so done with this book. You know, I'm going to wrap this book with a series of tweets from one of my favorite fiction authors, Larry Correa. He he did this... Friday? Had to be Friday, because that's when they did the January 6th hearings, right? The ugly truth the Beltway can't grasp, it isn't just that regular America doesn't care about January 6th, it's that they hate you for making their lives miserable. So when they saw you cowering, they thought, good, now they know how it is, how it feels to be afraid. The government fucked over regular America with COVID, then let cities burn because Democrats were having a tantrum that then left half of them feeling cheated and disenfranchised. And you're shocked none of them give a shit when the polls temporarily get discomforted for one day. The further you get from the beltway, the more Americans hate and distrust their government. Why shouldn't they? You do nothing but fuck them over, while your pet media blatantly lies to their faces. They hated you a year and a half ago, now you fuck the economy, their money is worthless, they can't buy gas or food, and you're shocked that they don't give a shit about your pathetic Soviet show trial crying about how you felt scared for one day. Where was the big public trial about the abysmal fuck-up in Afghanistan? So many Americans wasted time, money, and lives on. Where was the big public trial for the hundred other Biden fuck-ups? We all know the answer, which further illustrates why we despise you. You know what's funny? Everything about this tweet, these tweets, reinforces what the author was saying about the alt-right being the problem. We're all poor country degenerates who just don't understand what's best for us. Korea is a highly successful libertarian author. He's, he's also centrist. The left has pushed the center so hard that as far as the left is concerned, anyone who disavows Mao is a right-wing extremist. Shit, that's not funny at all. I am so done with this book. I, I will see you guys next week. Bye.